So we're asking uh, tough questions in this uh, series we've been in. And last week, uh, I showed you a clip from um, this British comedy. It was a comedy called Outnumbered. And uh, it's about this family, and there's two kids in the family. And these kids ask all kinds of great questions. And the one we watched last week, they were asking these funny questions about Jesus and about the Bible. Um, and I have a few more clips for you. So I want to show, uh, show you one of those today. Take a look. <clears throat> well, 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 Karen. Friday the 13th, successfully negotiated, and miraculously you remain unsavaged by bears. Why is Friday the 13th so unlucky? Where did all that come from? Well, I think it's something to do with the Last Supper, isn't it? Hey. Well, Jesus' Last Supper, Judas made 13 at the table and Judas betrayed Jesus, who was then crucified. See, 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 he was crucified. I don't think you can get unluckier than that. No, but he... You can, if you get crucified by accident. Just imagine, it's a really lovely day, and suddenly your shoelace is untied, and you're walking, and then you just go like, whoa, so you fall on the cross with nails sticking out of it. And then you crucify yourself by accident. It'd be really bad if you Yeah, I think we might have gone off on a bit of a tangent. (laughs) Right? I think we've gone off on a bit of a tangent, right? How many parents have said that to you know, crazy thoughts and questions like that. There's nothing more unlucky than getting crucified by accident, right? Um, Kids ask and think and say crazy questions like that, and yet they're still good questions, and they're still healthy questions. And they're the kind of questions we need to keep asking as middle school students or high school students or when we become young adults or when we become old adults. Why don't we keep asking these kinds of questions. And that's what we're doing here um, in this series. We're asking all kinds of tough questions. The most frequently asked questions we have about our faith, about God, about doubts, about the Bible, about the journey of faith. And the, probably the most common uh, question that I get as a pastor and probably the most common question I ask as a follower of Jesus is one we explored uh, last week. Why is there so much evil and pain and suffering in the world If God is so good and he created us and he's all powerful, then why does he let so many bad things happen in our world? And we tackled that question in part last week because we said, let's be honest, almost all of the evil and the pain and the suffering that we often experience is our fault, right? It's not God's fault. It's stuff we do. We're the ones that are harming one another. We're the ones that are selfish. We're the ones that that hurt each other. We're the source of so much. Maybe 95, 97, 99% of the evil and the pain and the suffering that we see and experience in the world is on us. And we impact that last week and, and we explored maybe a little bit the question of why does God allow it to be that way? But there's one aspect of this question that we did not address I was on the way to church last week, and um, my daughter, Maren, was riding with me, and uh, she said, Daddy, what are you preaching on today? And I said, well, we're going to talk about why bad things happen in the world um, and in our lives. And she got really quiet, and about two minutes later, she said, "Uh, Daddy, I have a question for you. When I hurt my foot yesterday, did God make that happen? Because... um, because she had hurt her foot the day before and she had hurt her toes, she was playing and she twisted them in a weird way and thought maybe they were broken at first. And they weren't broken, but they were hurt and she was hobbling around for several days. And she said to me in the car, she said, because last week when my sister Ellery got sick, I was really mad about that. I thought she was faking it. And I thought that like, I was jealous because everyone was giving her attention. 
So was God trying to teach me a lesson yesterday? I said, wow, that is a great question. We're on our way to church. We'll ask the pastor when we get there, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> um, you see, there's this whole other category of evil that happens in our lives, and maybe evil is not the right word, but we think of it that way. We experience that way when things happen to us that, that don't seem to be anyone else's fault, that, that aren't the result of human sin or someone actively trying to hurt us or harm us. There's, there's just things that happen where we can't point to a cause. When someone slips on the ice and falls and breaks their leg, when the snow caves somebody's roof in and destroys their home, when a forest fire sweeps through a town like it did last fall and destroys many homes and many lives, when any natural disaster takes place, a tsunami, an earthquake, a flood, a hurricane, and those always bring lots of death and destruction. When a 13-year-old boy, like someone I know, suddenly gets cancer. When a little baby girl contracts HIV AIDS from her mom. Does God cause these things to happen? Here's the question we're gonna to explore today. If we could put it all together, does God cause natural disasters? Now, uh, certainly humans play some role in this sometimes, right? There's many diseases and illnesses that uh, can be contributed to our poor health decisions, to smoking or obesity or something like that. Uh, careless driving, right, can increase our chances of getting into a car accident. Uh, poor building codes or, or, or building or construction practices increases the chances of homes and cities being susceptible to natural disasters. We see that when extreme poverty happens in very low-lying areas like it was in New Orleans and parts of New Orleans or like it is in places like Bangladesh, that that often increases the destruction that takes place. And the way that humans treat the environment, right? Scientists keep telling us over and over and over, we do things to the environment that contribute or in some way multiply all of these extreme weather events that we keep seeing happening. So we're not totally off the hook, right? We often play a role, and yet, and yet, there are still times when things happen and you can't point to any human cause, you can't point to any human factor there, and you're left to just back up and say, is it just chance? Is it just happenstance? Is it just cells or just biology or just a fire that's acting in, out in ways that, that seem to cause deep suffering in the world. And we can't help but stop and think in those moments, a little bit like my daughter did, did God cause that to happen? Did God make that happen? Is he the one that causes natural disasters? So that's what we'll explore. And I actually think the Bible has a lot to say about this. I don't know that it has any direct, simple, comprehensive answers for every time something happens. Here's how you need to think about it. But I think it does give us some good direction. And it gives us some good uh, ways to explore this question. So we're actually gonna ask this question. We're gonna look at it from three different angles. And I'll just tell you what the angles are right off the bat. We're gonna look at it from the creation angle. We're going to look at it from the judgment angle. That's going to be an important one. And then we'll wrap up by looking at it from the Jesus 
angle. So let's start with the creation angle because I think underneath the question of does God cause natural disasters is another one. Did God make the world to be this way? When he originally created the world were were hurricanes and tsunamis and forest fires and was illness and death and decay, were those things a part of the world as God originally made it? Because if you're a Christian, we, we sort of have this bigger story where we believe that God created the world and it was supposed to be good, and then he made humans, and then humans sinned and they did these horrible things, and that brought all these disastrous consequences. So are tsunamis and natural disasters, are they part of those consequences? Are they part of that, that curse that we sometimes say we brought on ourselves? And I don't think they are. I don't think they are. And let me tell you why this morning. Let me give you a few reasons. First, I don't think there's any scientific evidence for it. There's not scientific evidence that at some point early in the the life or the history of the world, everything was great and there were no bad weather events and there were no accidents and there was no illness or disease. And then it was like a light switch happened and suddenly we see all of those things happening. The best scientists in the world with the best minds and all the skills that God gave them, they just don't see that from the evidence. It doesn't make a lot of sense either if you stop and think about it to say that that natural disasters or disease or illness or accidents weren't a part of the world that God created. Would would that mean that, that God somehow prevented all animals when they were running to never trip and stumble and break one of their legs? That's kind of strange to think about. Does that mean that also all living things that he created had no chance of disease or illness or decay and that they would just live forever? And how does that work? Do plants just keep growing? Do animals just keep reproducing? And how does overpopulate? I mean, what does the world begin to look like if that happens? And were there no strange weather events at that time? Was there no rain? I mean, didn't God send rain to to make the plants and to make living things grow? So did he send enough rain for them to grow, but not enough rain for there ever be floods? Were there no forest fires? I mean, we know forest fires are actually healthy for forests. They burn away old brush. Did that, was that not a part of the world? So if you start logically thinking through it all, it just seems odd to think of a world that God would make where none of those things are a part of it. But biblically, I think if you step back and you think about the biblical story that we read, that doesn't make sense either. So here's the biblical story, and we don't have time to go look at it all because there's some other verses I want to look at today. But if you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2 at home today, you see that in the very beginning, there's darkness and chaos in the world. And maybe the best way to describe it or the best word to use to describe it is the word non-order. In fact, in the beginning of Genesis, it says the spirit of God is hovering over the deep waters. And these, this idea of deep and raging and wild and untamed waters, it's actually used throughout the rest of the Bible to always be a metaphor for things that are not ordered, that are still a bit chaotic and wild and untamed. But then... As we keep reading, God starts bringing order to all of the non-order. There's this sequential pattern that happens and he separates the night and the day and and he separates the land from the waters and and then he makes animals to fill all the different parts, animals to fill the oceans and then animals to fill the land and then animals to fill the sky. And then he, he, he grows plants and he gives food 
for the animals to eat. And there's all this order. And then he makes humans. And he invites humans to join him in bringing order from this non-order. He looks at them and he says, you can name and classify all the animals in the animal kingdom. You can grow gardens and bring fruit from the ground. In fact, you have a mandate. I'm giving you a mission. I'm gonna hand over the project of bringing order to this non-ordered world to you. And now you can rule over and be good stewards of this world. And with me, we will move towards something new. So there's non-order. There's order, but then humans introduce something else. They introduce disorder. Disorder. And that's where so much goes wrong. We choose not to work with God. We choose to be independent. We choose to not trust him. We choose not to live out the vocation or the work or the calling that he's given to us. We choose to just do whatever we want, even if that means harming other humans. And it brings all sorts of disastrous consequences into the world. In fact, our disorder wreaks havoc on everything. It even takes the non-order in the world and it stains it and it corrupts it. So much so that God looks at humans in the beginning, it's pictured he's looking at Adam and Eve, and we don't know if they were historical people or they just represent humanity, but he looked at Adam and Eve, and the story is this. He looks at him, he says, you were gonna have to work before to bring fruit from the ground, but now it's gonna be even harder. Everything's gonna be against you because of the disorder you brought into this world. You were gonna have to work before to bring new life into this world, but now it's gonna be harder. And he looks at women and he says, There's gonna, it's going to be painful. And I don't think he's actually specifically talking just about the birthing process, although that's true, right? I think he's talking about the entire process of conceiving kids, of having kids, of raising kids, of bringing them up and nurturing them and bringing about new life in such a hard and difficult and disordered world. That's what our disorder does. That's what human sin and selfishness does. And there's no part of creation that's not impacted by it. And that's why we said last week, the primary source of our evil and pain and suffering in the world is what we've introduced to it. It's what we do. And yet, and yet, this is why I think that those things like accidents, those things like disease, or those things like illness, or even those things like natural disasters more rightly fit in this non-ordered part of the world, that understanding that God said, work with me, and we will overcome that. We'll bring order to that. It's just a whole lot more difficult now for us. Now, there's one thing that often confuses, I think, this issue, because you might be asking the question, well, doesn't the Bible sometimes portray God as using what you call non-order illness or disease or, or natural disasters? Doesn't God sometimes use that to judge people? To, to, to make them pay the consequences of their sin? Doesn't God use natural disasters? And this is the judgment angle I want to explore because you can't escape it in the Bible. Let me give you a few examples. How about the first one, the flood? right? I mean, that's the most obvious one. People have become so wicked. It's just a few chapters later in Genesis that God uses a flood to destroy most of the world. 
And even if you think part of that's exaggerated or hyperbole, it wasn't a universal flood, maybe it was a a localized flood, you can't get around the understanding that at least whoever was writing Genesis believed God was using this as a tool of judgment. Another example, the plagues on Egypt, right? God is, is seen here using natural phenomena, disease, and flies, and hail, and frogs to, and it says literally, to judge the gods of Egypt and the people that worship those gods. Here's another story from 2 Chronicles 21. Maybe you haven't been spending time in 2 Chronicles 21 lately, but there's this king. His name is King Jehoram, and he's known as really evil, and God lets him get really, really sick and die from his illness. And it's very clear that God is judging him, and he's evil because actually when he dies, all the people are kind of happy about it. No one is sad about it. It's God judging him through this sickness. And then one more, uh, the book of Joel is a small, short, prophetic book that talks about these locust plagues. It's not always clear whether he's symbolizing something or what, but at the very least, he's talking about these locust plagues, this natural phenomenon that God is using to judge people who are sinful and wicked. So those are some examples, right? And I probably could have given a few more. And it's clear, it's clear that the ancient Israelites who wrote these accounts believed that in these specific circumstances, God caused, or at least he used, the non-order part of the world, the chaos, the potential destructiveness of it as a form of judgment. But here's what's important. He doesn't do it that frequently. It doesn't happen that often There are certainly some big examples like the flood, right? But if you take a Bible and read through it, you have to remember the Bible covers 1,500, maybe 2,000 years of history. And there aren't many examples. There's some big ones, but there aren't many examples at all. In fact, it's quite infrequent. It's even rare. You might even say it's the rare exception to the rule that you come across a story where God is doing this. And so the mistake that you or I could make would be to read a handful of these stories and then jump to the conclusion that all natural disasters, all sickness, all illnesses, all disease, all accidents are somehow God's way of judging people who are wicked and sinful. And the reason I know that's a big, big mistake is because that's the mistake Job's friends made. You might remember the story of Job. Uh, Job is this guy who has all these terrible things happen to him, and that includes uh, natural disaster and includes illness and disease. And he's grieving all of this. And during his grief and all the suffering, three friends come and join him. Their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they sit in his grief with him. And then after a while, after grieving, they start talking about it. And they start asking the question, why did God let all this happen? Why are you suffering so much? And the rest of the book of Job has all these speeches, and they're not actual speeches, they're not standing up and giving a speech, they're basically giving their ideas of why they think all this has happened in Job's life. And you can go back and read through all those, but basically to condense them all, all three friends basically say the same thing. That God uses natural disasters and illnesses to judge wicked people. And so Job, if you've been experiencing that, that means you must be wicked and sinful. 
And so they start listing all of these different sins. That includes greed, and that includes uh, pride, and that includes arrogance, and that includes oppressing the poor and being too wealthy, and all these different things that they think are sins. And they start listing them, and they basically look back at Job and say, which one of these did you do? Or maybe you did all of them, because you're really suffering. God must be really angry with you. In fact, look at what one of his friends named Zophar, he says this at one point really clearly. This is from Job 20. He says, terrors will come over the wicked sinner. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt. The earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate that God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed for them by God. You see, whether it's an earthquake, the earth opening up, or, or a storm, the heavens opening up, or a flood, or a fire, it's clear to Zophar that God has done this in your life, Job, because he is punishing you for something that you've done. And the whole time, you can read Job's responses, he keeps saying over and over to them, that's not true. It's just not true because I haven't done any of these things. I'm innocent. I'm, I don't think God is actually punishing me. I'm suffering these things innocently. In fact, Job will say, in fact, if we could have a courtroom and set up and try this like a case, I don't think God would be prosecuting me and I don't think he would be judging me. I think he would be defending me. I think he would be in my corner, on my side. You know what, Job? is right, he's right. Because at the very end of the story, God comes into the picture and he speaks to Job. And then after that, look at what he says. This is from chapter 42. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. God is saying, Job was right. You guys were totally wrong. And the lesson I think for you and for me is simple. Natural disasters are not always created by God for the sake of judgment. In fact, they're not usually created by God to punish us for sin. In fact, they're rarely created by God. They're maybe almost never created by God. And it would be silly or presumptuous of us to ever assume that that's what's going on when we see an illness or an accident or some sort of natural disaster. And Jesus is going to come along and basically say the same thing. Because I want to explore what he has to say about this. I want to read you two quick stories today. Jesus is walking along one day and this is what happens. John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So these are Jesus' disciples, his followers, his students. And yet they have the same perspective as Job's friends. They don't stop and ask Jesus, is he blind? Is he experiencing this tragic thing that he's had to deal with all his life? Is that because God is somehow judging him? They just assume that's the case. So the question is not that. The question is, what sin is God judging? 
Did God somehow foresee that this man would be really sick, sinful and, and wicked and prideful, and so he made him blind to begin with, or were his parents really sinful and wicked? And so God is judging them, and somehow this man is suffering the consequences of their sin. But who is it, God? Or who is it, Jesus? Which one is God judging? If I could pause for a moment, this might be a personal question for you. Because maybe you've been touched by some sort of tragedy, some disease, an illness, a physical handicap, a mental health issue. Maybe you or your family or people you're close to have been touched by some horrible accident or some tragedy. And at some point in all of that, you backed up and you thought, why are you doing this, God? What have I done wrong? Was it me? Did I do something wrong? Is there some part of my life or is there some part of their life? What is it? It's basically the same question. What sin are you judging, God, that you would bring this on me or on us? And when this question is asked of Jesus, Stephen reminded us a couple weeks ago, really helpfully, Jesus almost never answers questions. People ask him questions and he almost never answers them directly back. Sometimes he just starts telling a story and they're like, what, why are you telling a story? And then sometimes he asks questions back. It's like he's turning the tables on them. He's Socrates, right? And then he's, he's, he's just, he never hardly ever answers questions directly back. But on this day, on this occasion, when he gets this question, was it this man who sinned or his parents who sinned? Is that why God is judging him? He looks the disciples in the eye and he answers them directly with the most clear black and white answer he could possibly ever give. Look at what he says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, neither, neither this man's sin nor his parents' sin. And Jesus isn't saying, they've never sinned, they're perfect. No, he's just saying, this didn't happen because of anything he did or anything his parents did. This, this tragic circumstance, this suffering that he's been experiencing has no direct connection or correlation to his sin or to his parents' sin. God is not punishing him. So if you want a cause, it's this. It just happened. It happened in his life. Maybe this is non-ordered part of creation. It happened, and God can use it to shine a light through him, to shine his glory and display who he is and do his good work through this man's unique circumstances. Of course, that still raises other, are you, are you saying God actually still causes blindness, Jesus? Like, how does that work? And Jesus doesn't say. He just says it happened. And God can still work through it. But Jesus is clear, it didn't happen because God is punishing him. It didn't happen because God is addressing a sin in his life or his parents' life or anyone else's life. One more final story. This is from the book of Luke says this, now there were some present at that time 
who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Let me give you a bit of context. Uh, Jesus has been talking about judgment here in this part of Luke, and that's important because Jesus doesn't ignore the issue of judgment. Judgment is important. He actually talks about it. We might get into that uh, in a couple of months when we go through Jesus's life. So Jesus has been talking about judgment, and apparently some people who are listening like bring up a current event. Like, hold on, you're talking about judgment, Jesus. And do you remember the other day when Pilate, Pilate was the leader of the, the Roman-appointed leader in Judea. He's gonna become significant later in Jesus's story. But do you remember when Pilate killed some Galileans in Jerusalem the other day? We all heard about it, that it happened. And we don't know why. We don't know the backstory of why Pilate did this. Perhaps these were rebels. Perhaps there were people he didn't like. But apparently he executed some Galilean people. Galilee was in the north and they were down in Jerusalem. And he did it right there at the Jewish temple where sacrifices were being offered. So we get this graphic detail that the blood when he killed them was mixed with the blood from the sacrifices. And they basically say, is that God punishing those specific Galileans? And look at how Jesus answered them. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. In other words, here's what you're suggesting with that question. You're suggesting that this specific group of Galileans died because of their sin And they were more sinful than all the other Galileans or than anyone else. And so God decided to punish them through Pilate as a result of that. And Jesus says, that's just not true. Now, since you brought up the whole sin issue, this is a good reminder that you should probably repent of your sin if you have any in your life. But then he goes on just to drive it home. He says this, next verse. Or, or, and he brings up another instance here, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So Jesus brings up another current event, and we don't know anything about this, but there's this tower or building that was in another part of Jerusalem called Siloam, and apparently it fell down. And we don't know if it was a construction accident or it was a natural disaster. Maybe there was a terrible storm and it wasn't built very well, but it falls down and it kills a bunch of people who happen to be there. And Jesus is saying, these people who died as a result of this tragedy, are you suggesting, do you think that it was really because of their sin? Do you think they were more sinful than everyone else in Jerusalem? They just happened to be all in one spot and God made sure they were in that one spot that one day and he made this happen so he could judge them? If Jesus were here today, I think he would look at us and say, you know where most natural disasters take place in America? If you just kind of go back through history, happen in the South, right in the Bible Belt, right where we have the highest beliefs, in God, the highest amounts of church attendance, the highest amounts of Christian identification. So are you suggesting that all these nice church-going people who live in the Bible Belt in the South are actually faking it? They're way more sinful than everyone else in America, and that's why God keeps sending hurricanes in their area? Sounds silly when you think about it that way. And God is saying, no. Jesus is saying, no, God wasn't punishing these specific people. That's, that's not how this 
works. They didn't die because of a result of some sin or because God was punishing them. Well, why did it happen, God? Why did it happen, Jesus? Well, he doesn't answer that question. He just says, when something like this does happen, when a tragedy does occur, it can be a reminder to all of us that life is short. That, that things happen. That we all might die sooner than we think. It's a reminder to all of us that if there's sin in our lives or sin in our hearts and we're not right with God, that now is the best time to go to him, to turn to him. That's what the word repent means. To just turn to him and seek out his mercy and his forgiveness. And so maybe that's all that we need to do when we see and when we hear about disasters and horrible things that happen. Let's be open to the possibility that those things are a part of the non-ordered part of the world that God will one day with us help us to overcome. Or the book of Revelation says there's gonna be a time where there won't be any crying or suffering or pain. <laughs> Let's not presume that any tragedy is a direct result of God's judgment or God punishing someone for a specific sin. And when we do see, when we do experience, when we are aware of tragic circumstances, let's turn to God in our grief, in our pain, in our sorrow, and with all the questions and all the doubts that it brings up, let's just turn to him. Let me pray for us this morning. <clears throat> God, I'm reminded... <clears throat> As I close and just think about this, that um, this can be a very theological issue or a theoretical issue um, or a biblical sort of interpretive issue. Uh, but for some of us, it's a very, very personal issue. And there aren't any good answers. And we want to know why things happen. We want to know who caused them. We want someone to blame. And that's just what it means to be a human. And so God, I pray for anyone who might be here today who's feeling that, uh, that you meet us in that place, that you give us the courage to not give up on you, that you give us the courage like Job in the midst of all of his pain to say, I know my redeemer lives and he's in my corner. He's quiet right now. He seems absent right now, but I know he's there. I know he's with me and I'm gonna keep trusting and keep believing. God, that's our hope and that's our prayer and that's our desire. That you would keep renewing our strength in the midst pain and challenge and difficulty. Pray this in your name. Amen.